the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Tuesday, April the 13th, 2021, in the year of our Lord. Today on April 13, 1970, Apollo 13, four-fifths of the way to the moon, was crippled when a tank containing liquid oxygen burst. The astronauts managed to return safely. They made a movie about it. Today in 1613, Pocahontas, daughter of Chief Powhatan, was captured by English Captain Samuel Argall in Virginia Colony. During a year-long captivity there, Pocahontas accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. She converted to Christianity in an evangelical sort of a way. Ultimately, she opted to stay with the English. She felt that brotherhood, sisterhood, that you feel when you're one in the Lord. Today in 1742, Messiah, the oratorio by George Frederick Handel, featuring the Hallelujah Chorus, had its first public performance in Dublin, Ireland. Every time I even see the title of that, I don't know, there's something about it, you just want to sing the Hallelujah Chorus. I promise I will not do that, so don't reach for the turn off your radio. Don't do that. I'm not going to do it, but I feel an urge to do it. And I do each time. What a, just an inspired work of music, particularly the Hallelujah Chorus. Today in 1743, the third president of the United States, Thomas Jefferson, was born in Shadewell in Virginia Colony. And today in 1943, on his birthday, President Franklin D. Roosevelt dedicated the Jefferson Memorial in Washington, D.C., the 200th anniversary of the third American president's birth. Today, in 1992, things got really wild in Chicago. As you know, every night there's killings, every single night, every day, every 24-hour period in Chicago. It's been going on for a long time. There's two or three conservative news organizations that report every night how many people were shot in Chicago the night before. It's um, unbelievable. I mean, it looks, well, it makes Portland and Seattle almost, no, not quite, but almost seem a little more tame, at least. They don't shoot as many people. They don't burn as many buildings, perhaps, as Chicago, but they're working on it. That's for sure. But the Great Chicago Flood took place today in 1992. Their centuries-old tunnel system and basements all along, you know, that river runs through downtown Chicago. Well, some of their old uh, infrastructure uh, burst, and water just filled everything underground in downtown Chicago. Today, in 1999, right-to-die advocate Dr. Jack Kevorkian, he was sentenced in Pontiac, Michigan, to 10 to 25 years in prison for second-degree murder. He had assisted this person who had, um, I think it was Lou Gehrig's disease, 
had assisted her in taking her own life. And he was uh, charged with second-degree murder. He only served eight years, but he was he was sentenced to 10 to 25 years. And one year ago today, Bernie Sanders, after meeting privately with Joe Biden, he came out, told the news media and all of his progressive supporters, so-called progressive supporters, that he wanted them to rally behind Joe Biden's presidential campaign. He said, we have spoken, we've talked about it, and he said, this is the right thing to do because, he said, quote, Joe Biden as president will help us achieve most of our goals. And boy, I'll tell you, Bernie Sanders is way out there on the left. Riots continued last night in Portland, Seattle, Minneapolis. Minneapolis was well reported. Portland and Seattle, hardly reported. But they continued to break and burn and loot as they have for nearly a year, over a year, in fact. As we look at our culture today, we we look at it sometimes in despair, for sure. And we ask ourselves the question, how did we get here? How did we get to this place in America? America founded on the values and the principles that are found in God's Word. When our... What, when our legal system was adopted by our founding fathers, they leaned heavily upon Blackstone's codification of law from Scripture. He was a guy in England who had worked on this sometime previously. <clears throat> so you just have to wonder how we got from there to here. And I'm going to be talking a little bit about that this morning. I'm talking about one particular aspect of what's going on in our culture. But as I thought about this, and I thought, you know, and I I guess every generation when they mature, and I am over 40 now, when we mature, we tend to look at things a little differently. I remember my grandmother used to say, I can't believe what's going on in our culture today. She was very astute. She listened to the radio. She was my mother's mother, lived to be 99, almost 100. My Dad's mother, she only lived to be 96, I think it was, but my mother's mother was a, an astute radio. She listened to the radio all the time, Christian radio in particular, and she was really up on the news. She was aware of what was going on in the news, and she used to tell me, Gary, I just can't believe I, I this has happened in my lifetime, and it would be some cultural change. Now, I f- find myself, I mean, I'm not that old. I'm not like she was. She was old. But I find myself saying the same thing. And I think you do too, if you're over 40. And we look at what's going on in our culture. In fact, David Jeremiah wrote a book, something to the effect that I never thought I'd see the day. Things are changing and they're changing very quickly. They've always changed, but it's been accelerated now. We're looking at a time now where There isn't just cultural disagreement, political disagreement, Republicans versus Democrats kind of thing that pretty much was the way it was, especially at least here in the Northwest, but across the country. That's the way it was when I was a kid, when my mom and dad and grandparents were active, and probably yours is the same story. But things have changed now, and some of the things that we read in our in our Bibles, our New Testament, 
become even more crystal clear. Not that they weren't clear before. They were inspired by God, infallible, the Word of God. But today, some of these things are becoming much more clear. I was thinking particularly this morning of Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 10 says, finally, my brethren, Paul is talking about current events in their culture. He said, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. This was in the backdrop of what was going on in the culture. Be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Then he said this in verse 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness, in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all, to stand. And I wanted to tell you that before we take a look at our culture today. It's not unlike Paul's. It's accelerated. It's bigger because there's more people and there's more access to what's going on through the Internet, through all of the various means of communication that we have. But keep in mind that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Yesterday, Vice President, or President, (laughs) Vice President, yeah, he sometimes thinks he is. Yesterday, President Biden met with his bipartisan advisory committee with Vice President Kamala Harris sitting very close. She's counting the days, so she will be in the Oval Office, in her mind. But she was in the meeting, of course, and they brought in some token Republicans, really, and I don't mean to diminish the people they brought in, only to say that they were not really considered important to the meeting, except to the fact that they could show that the president, Biden, was making a bipartisan effort to get to the place where he wants to be, and that is to get his $2.5 trillion proposed infrastructure, so-called infrastructure, spending spree approved. Well, you look at that amount, $2.5 trillion, I'm not sure, i got to be honest with you, I'm not sure how much that is. I mean, it's a bunch. I know thousands Uh, as we deal with our budget each day and the things that we're doing, and pray to God that many of you will see the vision and stand with us as we turn on the light every day and talk about our culture in regards to the Word of God. So I know about those kinds of numbers and budgets, but $2.5 trillion, man, that's a lot. He knows it, and everybody in America knows it. It's probably way too much. But we're told that because the term infrastructure has evolved, that he's not just talking about fixing roads and bridges and potholes. Oh, no. That would certainly do all of that with some money left over. But no, that's not what we're talking about. What has it evolved to? Yeah, the president said, no, you don't understand infrastructure anymore. He said infrastructure a long time ago used to be fixing roads and bridges, but it's not that anymore. It's evolved. Evolved to what? Well, 
I can tell you a little bit of what it's evolved to because I looked through his infrastructure plan. <laughs> he got this bipartisan group together yesterday. As I said, it's kind of a, a show. I mean, really, it was. And again, I don't mean to diminish. I don't, I'm not real familiar with the Republicans he had in the meeting. But in order to make yesterday's meeting appear to be an honest attempt to improve our way of life by repairing our neglected national infrastructure, and it has been neglected, there's a lot that needs to be done in America, infrastructure-wise. Certainly Donald Trump recognized that, and he was moving toward that, but I don't think he had all this other stuff attached to it. I don't think he thought infrastructure had been had evolved to mean something very different than roads and bridges and that kind of stuff. But the president, Biden, included four Republicans in the meeting. There are Senators Roger Wicker from uh, Republicans from uh, Mississippi, Debbie Fisher from Nebraska, uh, Dan Don Young from Alaska, Garrett Graves from Louisiana, and there were four Democrats, of course. Maria Cantwell from Washington. She was sitting pretty, and well, not pretty, but sitting strong in the meeting. Alex Padilla from California and representatives. Don Payne and from New Jersey and David Price from North Carolina. But Biden expressed optimism that many more Republicans will join him in support of his spending spree. I'm praying that they don't. I don't see any indication that a lot of Republicans are going to get behind this. Number one, they don't think it would be a good political move. And number two, I think they're looking at this a little more clearly than President Biden is. This would be the largest money grab, the largest such an effort of transferring money from the people to the plan, his plan, in the history of our country. He said, I think we're going to be able to get, I'm quoting him, I'm hoping we will get, we will have, we will get, we will have some bipartisan support across the board. Mostly his bipartisan meeting yesterday, just for what it was, it was theater, it was an act, acting one way while moving in a different way. The Republicans responded by calling Biden's, thankfully, by calling Biden's spending free a partisan job-crushing slush fund. They noted that only 5% of the $2.5 trillion would be used for roads and bridges. 5%. That's still a lot of money. 5% of $2.5 trillion? Even including a broad definition of the word infrastructure, I mean, let's say it kind of means what it used to, even though he says it doesn't. But even if we included improvements of water systems, power grids, highways, roads, bridges, airports, broadband internet, and ports, seaports, if we fixed all of that in America, the experts say it would use about roughly 25% of Biden's bill, his infrastructure bill, as he likes to call it, but then quickly say, well, it's not the infrastructure you know, it's the new infrastructure. So where does the rest of this money go? Well, President Biden is defending the 75% of the infrastructure budget that will not be used for infrastructure except the new infrastructure by explaining that the 75% of the multi-trillion dollar spending spree will be spent on climate change, health care, affordable housing, These kinds of things. He said, that's where we are today. He said, infrastructure is about building human infrastructure. It occurred to me, and I'm not like a philosopher, but it occurred to me that when he said that, I thought, so he means that if it's 
building human infrastructure, it suddenly moves from being objective, like fixing, you know, I-90 from Seattle to Spokane or whatever. So it suddenly becomes, or I-5 from Canada to Mexico, it suddenly becomes something that's intangible. You can't really measure it. Is it working? Did what we spent this money on, Does is it working now? Well, it's how you feel. I feel it did. I feel better now because we're building the human infrastructure. That's what he said. These are his words. I don't think he really created this model of thinking, but someone gave it to him, and he's certainly repeating it. So the idea of infrastructure, he said, and I'm quoting the President of the United States, has always evolved to meet the aspirations of the American people and their needs, and it's evolving again today. Even Jeff Bezos' Washington Post was surprised, and they love this guy. They helped elect him. They helped carry him into the Oval Office, literally. Even they were surprised. So was the New York Times. Like, what is he saying? The Washington Post came out with a story that noted that Biden's presentation is misleading. They called it that. They said, well, the president is telling us little people out here that his historic infrastructure plan will more than pay for the mostly one-time investments in the American jobs plan. That's what he's saying will be the result of this. The Washington Post, far left. He is not telling us that the spending will take place over the next eight years. It will take until 2036, 15 years, for his proposed corporate tax hikes to generate that much money if everything goes as planned. Well, without putting on my prophet's hat, I can almost promise you everything will not go as presented or planned. It never does for progressives. That's why they're so-called progressive. They keep changing. That's why they have to believe in evolving truth, because what they say rarely ever works out the way they present it. Now, I know life has a way of reversing, and all of us have thought we could do this and it ended up we couldn't do it, whatever it was. I mean, that's part of life. But I'm talking about all of that on steroids, above and beyond, way beyond just the normal experiences in life. They throw out anything that they think will move their agenda forward. In fact, that's part of the philosophy of the left. That's why the Christian worldview, the biblical worldview, is so diametrically different than the secular worldview. The biblical worldview builds a life and all of the actions and all that that person does with their life on a sure foundation, on an absolute truth foundation. And, of course, the basis of absolute truth is the Bible. The Bible is inspired by God. Whether people want to believe that or not, the atheists, they can write their books and sell their books and make a little money on the side. And they can say there is no God or the Bible is, oh, the Bible is full of errors. No, it's not. It's their mind. Their thinking is full of errors. They don't understand it. The more a person understands Scripture, the more clear it becomes. There are no errors in the Bible. There's no contradictions, as they like to say. When you're lost in darkness, most anything will work for you at the moment if you say it well and say it forcefully and repeat it often. So that's what we're looking at here in our own country today. We're seeing a desperate group of people who really don't have any moorings except evolving moorings. They don't even know what they believe, much less what to do. That's why there's always this sense of kind of a cloud of confusion 
hanging over this country when those kinds of people are leading it. Truly, and I know that's hard. I, I know there's people who claim to be evangelical Christians, born again, love Jesus, going to heaven, and they vote themselves to death for the Joe Bidens and the Hillary Clintons of this world. I don't know how they can reconcile that. I don't know how they can claim to have a biblical worldview. And I'm not advancing politics. I'm talking about spirituality. I'm talking from a pastor's heart, not a politician's. I've never run for office. I would have kind of liked to a couple of times, but, boy, I couldn't feel any relief or any sense from the Lord that I should do that. Probably the Lord knew best. Maybe he was protecting the people as much as myself. But there were times in my life, i got to be honest with you, when it crossed my mind, I thought, man, you know, maybe I could make a difference. But I never felt at peace about that, and I've never run for a political office, nor do I intend to. That isn't what God has called me to do, but I've been observant, and I've been aware, and I've been watching these folks, and I can't quite figure out how people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ can vote for a party. It doesn't, I mean, if it was the Republican Party, I'd feel the same way. It just isn't. It isn't about the party. It isn't about politics. It's about what we believe, who we are. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. We become what we believe. How can you how can you submit yourself and your sacred vote that people have died to protect in this nation? How can you subject that to this kind of agenda that's always evolving? There are no absolute truths. They deny God pretty much, except when people want to know if they're religious and if they think they want them to be religious. They say, oh, yes, of course. I'm a devout Catholic. I go to Mass every day or every Sunday or whatever. That's hypocrisy, because that implies that you're embracing, in the president's case, you're embracing the the truth that the Catholic Church holds to, like the sanctity of life, like marriage between one man and one woman, that kind of thing. And you're not. You're out advocating against the very things that you claim to hold dearly, your faith. How do you vote for that kind of thing and then look God in the face and say, God, I am so happy, I'm so honored to serve you with all of my... How do you do that? I don't know. That remains a mystery to me. But I will tell you this, that that's part of what's wrong in America today. If Christians would get their act together and vote according not to a party, forget the Republicans and Democrats. Forget it. But if we could just go to the polls and vote our conscience based on biblical truth, America would be restored in a heartbeat because before there can be any political kind of restoration, there has got to be spiritual restoration because the battle that we fight, the battle that we wrestle in in our culture is not political. It's spiritual. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's the kind of thing that you're sensing and I'm sensing in our world today. And some are sensing this and they don't know what it is. Well, we operate strictly on a human secularistic kind of level plane and politics becomes the vehicle Even we Christians can sometimes forget that the battle is not really political. 
Yes, that's how it plays out in America. And thankfully, I still think we have the best system in the world. That this is a spiritual matter. When people from that side, from the left, step up and say, whoa, wait a minute. Like the Washington Post, like the New York Times. That's how far out these people are. This Maya McGinnis, president of a committee for a responsible federal budget, their secular organization, she came out yesterday and said we should put out a bill that is an investment in infrastructure and doesn't fall to the trick of calling everything you want infrastructure. But it's all about the trick. It's all about the trick. Joseph Goebbels was Hitler's right-hand man. I'm not making any connection here between Hitler and any of our leaders. I mean, just let me put you at ease because I know not everyone who listens to this program agrees with me. And, and in fact, none of the time, I, some don't, apparently. But Joseph Goebbels was Hitler's right-hand man, and he often spoke about the big lie. He's the guy that always talked about the big lie, but he always denied having ever said that and, it, it, and ever advocated that it was effective. But while he was denying having ever said that, he kept it in the narrative. And this was way back in the 1940. He kept it in the narrative to where people were talking about it all the time. He is said to have said, and that's what some of the history books say, Goebbels is said to have said, quote, if you tell a, a lie big enough and keep repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it. A lie can be maintained only for such a time as the state can shield the people from the political, economic, and or military consequences of the lie. It thus becomes vitally important for the state to use all of its powers to repress dissent, for the truth is the mortal enemy of the lie, and thus by extension, the truth is the greatest enemy of the state. About Biden's trick. (laughs) I don't like Fox News, Chris Wallace, much at all. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I've never met him. I just don't like him. But I saw him, for once in his life, stand up to the left. He was asking questions on Fox News Sunday, day before yesterday, that should have been asked and are not being asked. And I've got to tell you, I still don't like him very much, but I was sure pleased with his performance on that. Pete Buttigieg is out there putting out a lot of lies on behalf of the president. And Chris Wallace, to his credit, called him out on it. And he said, this is just simply isn't true what you're saying and he gave him the facts, and I don't have time to go into all of it, but he gave him the facts, and um, Pete Buttigieg got kind of quiet. You remember Pete Buttigieg. He was running for president. He was formerly the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, and the thing that he's most remembered for is kissing his husband on stage while he was running for president. They did that every time they got a crowd. But anyway, he's now the transportation secretary of transportation. So Wallace called him to task, and if I had more time, I'd walk you through the details. But the takeaway of this is that we live in a very deceptive world. It's just woven like a web of deception in our world, and there's shades of of truth, and there's a thread of truth in some of the things that they're saying, but it's basically not true, or it's kind of true, but it leads you to a false conclusion. And all of this is going on, but I will tell you, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And through all of this, God's word stands. It is absolute. Paul finished his letter to the Ephesians with this. He said, and for me, he said, praying always with prayer and supplication. Verse 19, pray for me that my utterance may be given. 
I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. That would be my prayer as well. Thank you for your support of this ministry. We could not be here without it. We'll see you tomorrow.